Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to our third edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. We are Chris Whittingham and Ethan Skolnick. And Ethan, we've done too much agreeing in the first two editions of this pod. We've collaborated on our five reasons and argued them in equal measure. Today, we will present conflicting arguments on the Cleveland Cavaliers. They lose 148-124 to Oklahoma City on Saturday afternoon. They've lost five out of six. They're 29th in the NBA in defensive rating, fractions of a point ahead of Sacramento. If you're mentioned in the same sense as Sacramento, things are going bad we are in the middle of another Cavs crisis but these have happened so often in the past four years since LeBron rejoined the team today we parse the question to quote Jessica Chastain from SNL what even matters anymore well what matters I think is different than in past years and and I'm gonna make the case here Chris and as much as I respect LeBron James and obviously what he's accomplished in the level that he's still playing at still a candidate for MVP, I'm going to make the case that it matters this time, that the Cavaliers' struggles are not something that can just be written off to we'll we'll flip a switch in the playoffs and the East is so weak that we'll get to the finals anyway. I think although we don't see, and we'll get into this more over the course of the podcast, we don't necessarily see a dominant other team in the Eastern Conference. I think that the Cavaliers' problems with defense at this stage, you mentioned it, 29th in the league in defensive rating at this point, it does not appear that they have the personnel, in my view, this time around to change this in any dramatic way. And they also have declining players at key positions. And that's the case that I'm going to make today. All right. So I'll go ahead and start with, uh, with my first reason. And the reason why I think this doesn't matter, we've gone through this sort of four-year period where every year, I, I kind of mentioned in the open that they do this every year. And to me, here are the basic facts and why I think nothing has changed in the last four years. They have problems. In year one, they were under 500 in mid-January. LeBron tweeted, stop trying to find a way to fit out and just fit in. In year two, David Blatt gets fired. David Blatt, of course, a a now member of this storyline in some respects because he told uh, Turkish media, (laughs) I hope in our all-star game we don't give up more points than the Cavs. And then they did. They did. So then he gets fired in year two. There's video of LeBron and Dwayne Wade working out together in Miami. The next year, another apocalyptically bad defense season. Over a three-month period, there were 26 in the league in defense. So things haven't changed. Here are the basic facts. They have problems. They have structural problems. Those problems will make it difficult to play the Warriors, but the conference isn't good enough to beat them. I don't think that's changed. Do you want to take a guess? Obviously, given the fact that they've made three straight finals, they've won 36 games in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Would you like to take a guess at the total number of losses in that period? In the Eastern Conference playoffs, we're yes. talking about a three-year period, yes. total of nine rounds uh, mm-hmm. to get to the NBA Finals. I am going to venture a guess at, say, 12. They've lost five times in the last three years in the Eastern Conference playoffs. <laughs> and I think we talk ourselves into this being a problem every year. And then they're too good for the East. 
but they haven't been killed by the Warriors yet. If, if they were killed by the Warriors in any of those three, like what the Spurs did to them in 2007 when LeBron got there too early, if the Warriors had killed them in any of the last three seasons, I would say the Cavs need to make major changes. There's something desperately wrong with them. I just don't think that those basic facts have changed at all in the last four years now. Yeah, and, and look, uh, obviously their numbers in the Eastern Conference, and then you take a look at LeBron's numbers in the first round over the course of his career. They are better than Michael Jordan's numbers in the first round, and, and you don't see necessarily there are a lot of teams in the East that have made the big jump. But here's where I'm going to start in terms of making the case that this is a little bit different for this particular Cavaliers team. And I'm going to start here. Having covered that first year, and you mentioned uh, David Blatt being the head coach that first year with Cleveland uh, when LeBron went back, that team started 19 and 20, then made the trades, trading Deion Waiters, get, picking up J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert and Timothy Mozgov and, and going on a run and then getting to the finals. The, the big difference that I see, first thing, is just the on-the-scene accounts of the writers who cover this team every day. And and that group, and I'm speaking specifically of of Jason Jason Lloyd, Joe Varden, Dave McMenamin, that group has been with this team now since since LeBron came back. And what they've been writing recently, particularly Jason Lloyd's uh, piece on the Athletic, indicates that from what they're seeing and what the the vibe that they're getting in that locker room is that this is different from past years that there doesn't seem to be a clear answer in that locker room or the confidence in the other players that they've acquired and and I think that to me uh sets off an alarm bell here that this is not the same thing these players just haven't fit very well Jay Crowder uh, has not had a particularly good year. Isaiah Thomas, I know it's early. We're still talking about a very small sample size, but his fit with this team, we know he's not a great defender, obviously. Last year, I think he was last in the league in defensive plus minus. Now you're talking about a guy who's trying to fit with LeBron James. He's a ball dominant player, as was Kyrie Irving, but Isaiah Thomas, maybe even more so. And I don't know necessarily that that pairing works all that well together. And also Isaiah is a player who you can get involved in pick-and-roll situations and really exploit him on the defensive end. Yeah, I talked about Jay Crowder's struggles. Now you take a look at some of the other players that they brought in. Dwayne Wade has done a good job leading that second team off the bench. But Ty Lue can't seem to find a combination off uh, the bench that he will stick with, with that group that was playing so well. And then they end up bringing in Tristan Thompson gets healthy. Isaiah Thomas comes back. And he's basically been juggling these bench units, and none of them have been able to make up for the difference of what they were doing before. So where I go with this, Chris, is I, I take a look at the people who are on the ground there in Cleveland, and they're just getting a different sense from this locker room. There doesn't seem to be the confidence in this group. The other thing I'll say is that report the other day, which was attributed to several veteran players, basically saying that uh, anonymously that we need to make – uh, we need to make changes here. It was a joint scoop. It was like the 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 veteran. Who who could these veteran players have been? A multitude of veteran players took aside a multitude of reporters to anonymously tell them that they need to make changes. It was very strange. Very strange. And again, it was the three the three outlets that I'm talking about that that were pulled aside here. But I think you can kind of <laughs> look. There are a number of veteran guys in that locker room. Obviously, we all know that that sometimes. You know, you try to cover for players who are talking when you're a reporter. You don't want to give away who it is. But I think, Chris, you and I 
could probably narrow down who some of those veteran voices might be in that locker room. So, you know, you sort of go to the top here, right? And let's let's put it this way. If LeBron is raising questions about the direction of the team and where they're going, I'm going to get to another of my points later on here as we go forward. But clearly, if LeBron has questions about the group that he's with, that's not a good thing going forward, especially when you have the specter of his free agency hanging over the franchise. But I guess my question would be, how much has this roster changed over time? Because you look at the group right now, yeah, there's sort of the over-the-hill veteran like Derrick Rose and, and now Channing Frye is a, is a member of that group and Jose Calderon, who they're still trotting out there. I'm not – well, I guess – Given the fact he's on 11 points a game, I guess you could say Dwayne Wade is on there, but on a per 36-minute basis, he's not totally over the hill yet. But the roster hasn't really been that different. Now, obviously, the big one is Kyrie Irving, and he hasn't yet come up in this conversation. And when you describe the things that you're talking about, maybe LeBron is looking at what Kyrie Irving did for him in the finals and doesn't see anyone on this roster capable of... Of, uh, of performing at a similar level in the finals. But if you're talking about locker room discord, I don't think hearkening back to the Kyrie Irving era is exactly you know, the, the, the solution or, or was ever a, a better time. I don't think Kyrie Irving was, the, was a guy you'd think of and say, oh, he, he provided locker room harmony. He was a veteran voice that got the, the locker room together and galvanized. I feel like this team has always been kind of been in discord and they almost operate on chaos more than they operate on success. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Kyrie because it is a strange argument for me to make uh, considering the fact that during Kyrie's time in Cleveland, and particularly that first year when I was there, you're right. That's what I observed also, that Kyrie was not a leadership-type personality, right? And so losing him in that regard wouldn't seem to hurt you. But I do think it comes down to what you're saying there, Chris, is that LeBron, as much as you know, there may not have been this sort of kumbaya relationship between the two of them at all times, and as much as Kyrie might have dominated the ball, I do believe LeBron had confidence in Kyrie to take over games if necessary. And you know, I witnessed a few of those in person. I remember the game in uh, San Antonio, I believe Kyrie scored, I think it was 53 or 55, and LeBron kind of took a back seat and Kyrie took over a game. We, we saw that at times in the postseason as well. And again, because he's been hurt and because, you know, he hasn't really had an opportunity to fit in, I don't think Isaiah has earned LeBron's trust in that regard yet. He hasn't done it with him on the floor. And so that element where, you know, however much you might have been frustrated by Kyrie's defense, however much you might have been frustrated by Kyrie dribbling in circles at times, there was a feeling that Kyrie could take over a game if necessary and put pressure on the opposing point guard on a consistent basis and they just, you know, with Isaiah being out and then not particularly effective since he's returned, that they just don't have that element right now. But LeBron and the Cavs have played against Isaiah Thomas, who's delivered those kinds of performances in a Boston uniform. Now, it is different doing it in a Cleveland uniform, but I think LeBron has to probably be more understanding that Isaiah's not totally healthy yet. And to me, the thing that it always comes down to is we're still in January, right? It's it's January 22nd at time of recording. They still have two months to, to, to figure this out. And I think we can pretty comfortably say, given the fact that there have been reports that have come out of Cleveland that they don't even practice, that they, they, they just don't practice. Well, Ty Lue did say yesterday, I think he said yesterday the day before, or yesterday after the Oklahoma City loss, that they were going to start practicing more. So, yeah, but, but otherwise... I mean, congratulations to your professional <laughs> basketball team who are going to start practicing. But if you're not practicing, if you're constantly resting, guys, if 
you have single-handedly proven that the regular season does not matter. And the reason why I'm not panicking or I wouldn't panic if I was a Cavs fan is because th- this has happened every single year in the regular season with the Cavs, and then they've gone and proven sort of the other side of it, right? So I mentioned their record in the Eastern Conference playoffs. They're, they're 36-5 and five in 41 games in the Eastern Conference playoffs. They have never been challenged. They view the, the regular season as an 82-game trial period. And so I think they'll eventually get there. And if I can go ahead and transition to my reason number three, because you, you've presented one, I presented one. Reason number three would be they still have a major trade chip to go and improve this roster. And it'll be interesting to see how Cleveland deals with this for for a variety of reasons. Number one, do they overreact to what's going on now? And number two, do they sacrifice what will be a good long-term trade chip or a good long-term asset in the Brooklyn first-round pick, which Mike Wallace, you and I have talked about for about three years now, a Brooklyn first-round pick providing a sort of important trade asset. Do Cleveland mortgage their future in the service of trying to get back to the finals and win the finals again this year. Because if you put that asset on the open market, you're going to get solid veteran experienced contributors. You could use it to go and get Boogie Cousins. You can, go, you can go and use it to get a variety of players in the NBA that would help this current situation. They still have a trade to make. My question is, do they make it? I believe that they would make that trade and Kobe Altwin would make that deal if he knew LeBron was returning. And, and I think that, again, is is what's hanging over this team this year that's different than the other years. Even when there was frustration with LeBron that first year and again, starting 19 and 20 um, and even some of the struggles they've had the past couple of years and with LeBron going you know, year to year until he, and he had a two year, uh, you know, a two year period there. But. There was there was always the sense that LeBron was staying in Cleveland, right? Like that this was obviously the Sports Illustrated essay and everything else that there was an indication that he was going to be there for the long term. But now that dynamic has changed. There can't be the confidence that LeBron is going to stay long term, and so that puts Kobe Altman, who's you know really doing this for the first time and obviously was involved in the Kyrie trade and the Kyrie situation after David Griffin moved on. But it puts Kobe Altman in a really difficult position because do you make a trade of an asset? And it's not going to be uh, the pick we thought it was going to be, Chris, right? I mean, uh, the Nets keep winning, <laughs> which, right. which, which, which is a problem, yeah. Which, which has changed this a little bit. Um, I think at, the, at this point, we could be talking about a pick that's somewhere between, what, 7 and 10. So right, right, right now they're eighth worst in the conference, but they're level on losses with the Lakers, the Suns, and the Grizzlies, who are all technically ahead of them because they have fewer wins. They have 29 losses, and the Kings and the Hawks, who both have the league's worst, worst record at 13 and 32, have 32 losses. So there's only three losses that separate Brooklyn and Atlanta, Sacramento. The difference is, is that because Brooklyn doesn't have their first-round pick, they're not going to try and lose. Right. They're right. Exactly. Except uh, at the end of last year where they sat everybody in the last game of the regular season and kept the heat out of the playoffs, as we right, remember. Because they, they have to be healthy for <laughs> six months from now. <laughs> right. They needed Brooke Lopez to be rested. Uh, but to me, that's the big difference here is that you have this situation hanging over the franchise in a way that it was not before. And it's made it difficult for the team to operate as they normally would. I remember having a conversation with Kobe Allman after that first year that LeBron was back in Cleveland. And Kobe and and David Griffin both spoke about the fact that you have to maximize LeBron's time, no matter what 
is required. You have to give him the best opportunity while he still has a championship window to win a title. So I believe that if, if they knew LeBron was staying at this point, there would be no question that they would trade that draft pick, right? I mean, look at the way that the Heat operated when LeBron was in Miami. The, the Heat never worried about getting younger. They just, you know, they added veterans like Battier and Allen and other players like that. And I think that's the way that Cleveland would operate at this stage. But they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because they don't know if LeBron's going to stay and if they're going to need this asset to start the rebuild if LeBron leaves. Now, with that being said, Chris, I would I would deal it. I would sort of roll the dice on it and say you have to make a trade to to get something else in here because this particular group it's it's not going to work, but I don't know that they're going to do that because of this cloud that's hanging over the franchise. I agree with you. I I would trade it and and I I'm, I'm normally not the guy in a mortgage long-term assets, but I think the Cavs negotiating position with LeBron James has improved since the summer, right? So since the summer, everyone was reporting that he was definitely going to Los Angeles, that LeBron James was looking at houses and this was done, right? That, you know, you can start, Jorge Sedano can go on, uh, park outside of his house, watch. Everything would indicate he's gone. The problem for me is that if Los Angeles is the only destination that he would leave for, look at what the Lakers have done. Look at the, the chaos that they have right now. None of their guys have taken the leap to where you even think that they're Kyrie Irving, right? Because LeBron, he can leave for Cleveland because they have Kyrie Irving. He looks promising. They have the number one pick with Andrew Wiggins, which they can you know flip for Kevin Love, and you have a team. I don't think the Lakers right now have that desirable of a situation. They don't have first-round picks that have making a considerable leap. They don't have a quality cap slash pick situation in terms to make the trades that would make them even even with LeBron James if you make a trade or if you sign him are you even better than Houston in the Western Conference I mean you're all of a sudden staring down the barrel of a second round exit now I guess the question becomes what do they need because they're not necessarily I, I don't think they're going back to Kevin Love at power forward or a power forward LeBron at small forward and bring in some center who's going to you know protect the rim and and shot block I think they've kind of transitioned into a team that's going to try and and run up and down the floor and and be more of a kind of modern era team so are they going to get a center that that's going to help them do they need guards Do, do they need another wing that Jay Crowder should have been but hasn't been I don't even know if you're right now in the trade market with Cleveland with this pick what are you looking for well, that's a great question, and, and I think you take a look at some of the players that they've been associated with. Uh, there, you know, a report I think a Mark Stein report about George Hill as a possibility, a guy who could play both guard spots. I always thought he's someone who would be a good fit with LeBron because he can play off the ball, and and LeBron's had great success over the course of his career playing with point guards who were not really point guards. George Hill would be a good fit there, and he defends. He still can defend at a reasonably high level. So that's an interesting piece. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fit fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details 
that they 20, could look it's a at. Twenty million dollar player, though. It, it is. It is. But I mean, again, you're if you take a look at uh, some of the contracts that the, the Cavaliers have already doled out, he's probably better value <laughs> than some of the ones that they have on the books right now. Uh, you, you take a look at, at the front court, the DeAndre Jordan possibility. Obviously, you're talking about you know someone who's been an elite defender at that position that would slide Kevin Love back to the fourth spot. Of course, DeAndre Jordan's not really a guy that you can play down the stretch of games because of the free throw trouble. So that would be an issue there. But, you know, and then we always talk about DeMarcus Cousins and the direction that the Pelicans decide to go in, whether or not they, they continue to try to compete for that seven or eight spot, maybe even as high as five or six in the Western Conference or whether they, they gut it. But I, I think one of the problems that this roster has, Chris, is it's not whether or not they have enough decent players on the team. They do. Ty Lue has 11 or 12 guys that he can play. It's just a question of finding the right fits with it, and I, I tend to see, see more trouble with that than I do with previous teams. So I'm not sure that one guy that they bring in is going to fix that in terms of cleaning up all the rotations, but they could go for a guard or they could go for a big and then kind of decide whether to play big or small based on that. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see if they can add a piece that's quality. Now, I guess the reason why this becomes even harder to do is because you're staring down the barrel of an NBA Finals with a team that has four high-quality, both-sides-of-the-floor players, right? And so are you ever going to make a trade that's going to get you to that level? There's no one available that's... I mean, if you're grouping the four players that Golden State has together, they make up the top 30 of the league, top 35 of the league, four, four of the top 35 players in the league. Are you going to make a trade that's going to get you there? And that is, the, I guess, the counter argument to making the trade is you might lose LeBron and you're never going to make a trade that's going to get you to that level. There's, there, there, are, there aren't a group of those caliber of players that will be available together that you can make that run. Well, and, and that's true. And, and, you know, perhaps the only type of player that might elevate you into that territory, I think one of the things we talk about bigs, we talk about guards, you know, but one of the things that would really benefit LeBron at this stage of his career to play with is is an elite two-way wing. And, you know, he obviously he had one, you know, at the beginning stages in Miami, you know, in Dwayne Wade, but Dwayne, as we know, is not, you know, the same, particularly defensively as he was, and he's not playing the kind of minutes that he used to play. Look, if you could, you know, figure out a way to get Paul George into the fold, and again, that requires Oklahoma City deciding that that's not going to work long term, or Paul George is going to leave after the season, you know, then that changes the dynamic a little bit, because then you're talking about a guy who you can put on the floor against Golden State, and he would fit, you know, completely with what you're doing. And, you know, you know, one of the things that Golden State has is, is they have they just have a multitude of wings who can switch and who can play both ways. And, you know, to get a guy like Paul George, who's still an elite player at that position would be critical. But beyond that move, I don't know if there's anything else out there that would really fit against Golden State. If you go get a big and decide that you're going to play big against the Warriors, that's not necessarily going to work when the Warriors go small with a variety of guys that they go small with at the five spot. If you go really small against Golden State, they'll find ways to exploit that also. I, I think the only thing that could change the dynamic of the finals would be to get an elite wing to play with LeBron, and the only guy that I see out there who would fit that qualification is Paul George. Right, because the, th the thing is, is that if you need a two-way wing, so does everybody else. Mm -hmm. and, and, that, and that's the thing about the, the NBA now is that in some respects it has become a little homogenous because if everyone is trying to go small, 
if everyone is trying to to maximize their three point shooting and, and layups the, the the way that the Rockets are to an almost extreme degree, then everyone is is looking for the same thing. You're looking for a player who's six six and a half and can shoot thirty nine percent from three and defend. And if everyone is looking for the same thing, then the, those become even more valuable, and so you have to give up more, or you're less sort of ready to give it up. And I think that is the problem for Cleveland right now: is what do they even attack? in the trade market right now to go and get? Or do you just try and, and make a smaller move, get a couple of decent players that can sort of fill out a rotation? But that does go back to the question of, are these players that you trust in the finals? Because we saw it last year in the finals. Could you say they trusted more than six players in those, game, in those games against the Warriors? They're, they're asking their guys to go 42, 43 minutes, and that was when they had Kyrie Irving. Have they added anybody? I mean, obviously, if Isaiah Thomas gets to that point, then you'll feel good about it. But Jay Crowder was supposed to be that, and he just hasn't been in Cleveland. Now, maybe he'll fit in eventually, and, and it'll be okay, but I thought Jay Crowder... The, the reason why that trade meant, that made sense to me is because Isaiah and Crowder for Kyrie is two for one players you trust in a finals and that's why I felt okay with it but so far they've proven to be zero players that you trust in a finals I think eventually you'll get to one but do you eventually make a move for guys that you trust in an NBA finals and that's what Cleveland has to decide yeah and you look at the roster right now and if you're going to pose that question and try to answer it the way I put it is who would LeBron trust in an NBA finals right I mean this goes beyond Ty Lu. Who are the guys that LeBron's going to feel comfortable playing with in that setting? And you look at this roster right now, and this is, again is why I come back to it. Even though we can talk about certain guys who've been there before and been part of a either a championship run or getting to the finals, Tristan Thompson is not the same player right now. He has not progressed in any meaningful way uh, as as a shot blocker, as a scorer. He is you know strictly at this stage an offensive rebounder. And so is he a guy you're going to trust? Well, he's played well in the playoffs before, um, but he has not been impactful for for the Cavaliers this season. In very specific ways, though, right? You remember the series against Atlanta mm-hmm. where he killed them on the offensive glass. You remember the, the series in 2015 where they were going big on purpose and he was killing Golden State on the offensive glass as they were trying to, to drag the game into the mud. As the games have been played in a more modern fashion the last two years in the finals, Tristan Thompson has faded further and further into obscurity. Right. So if you know, so if Tristan Thompson is no longer somebody that you're going to trust in those situations, do you trust J.R. Smith at this point? I don't see any way he's, that you he's could. Been, he, he's been bad in every he, finals that they've played in. Right. And, and this year has been, you know, arguably his worst season as a pro if you take a look at his numbers across the board. So you, you're talking about J.R. and Tristan Thompson, two guys – who were major parts of the rotation for previous Cavalier teams or guys that this stage you don't trust. We've talked about Jake Crowder. Are you going to trust him in that situation? Again, I liked him with Boston. Has not worked out with Cleveland. Isaiah, again, we're projecting that maybe he gets back somewhere close to where he was last year with Boston, but I don't know that you can make that leap. And also, I don't know that you can put him on the floor for 35 minutes defensively against Steph Curry. I mean, you, mm-hmm. how how do you hide 
I, it was one thing to talk about trying to hide Kyrie, but you know we we saw Kyrie play some strong games in the finals against Golden State. I thought one of the best games Kyrie ever played defensively was the game that he got hurt in, uh, that game one against Golden State uh, that first year of the finals, uh, the 2015 finals. So, but but Kyrie at least had size. I, Isaiah is somebody that Golden State can continue to exploit. So you're talking about another guy. Do you trust him? in an NBA final. So who are the guys that LeBron's going to trust? Well, LeBron's going to tr- trust Dwayne, right? And Dwayne is playing his lowest minute total of his career. So you say maybe he'll be able to still be effective at that point. But you're talking about projecting now, you know, a guy who just turned 36 years old and projecting another four or five months down the line from that. Where is Dwayne's body going to be at that stage of the season? And what can he give you consistently in the NBA finals, uh, you know, against a team like Golden State? And, and are, are, you, are you asking him to play more than the 23 minutes that you're asking him to play now? And I think they would, right? I think, I yeah. mean, if, if you're looking at the guys that LeBron would trust, but then you have a floor spacing issue with Dwayne there playing heavy minutes at the two guard spot. So, and, you know, then we get back to Kevin Love who LeBron has sort of trusted and not trusted at various stages of his Cleveland career. So I I look at this roster and, you know, we can say they have more players who have pedigree than they probably ever had since LeBron has gone back there. I mean, you're talking about a lot of guys who've made big impacts in the league. They have a lot of nice names on this roster, but I'm just struggling without a major trade. And we've talked about this sort of the difficulty in finding the right piece there. I'm struggling in finding what the right rotation would be um, in the postseason. I mean, Cavaliers fans are sort of crying out for more Channing Fry, and Channing Fry played well while the Cavaliers were playing well part, as part of that bench group, but we know what Channing Fry's limitations are, right? I mean, Channing Fry is essentially a stretch-the-floor big, but he's not going to give you that much of anything else. So they just have a lot of one-dimensional players on this roster who I think we, we talk about in high regard because of reputation, but I don't know that they're going to be able to find an eight- or nine-man rotation that really makes a lot of sense. Right. There, there are names on the roster team more than they are a, a, a quality and, frankly, coherently assembled team because this is just a mismatch of players that were available at the time. And, and that, for me, is the byproduct of having LeBron James on your team and, frankly, holding your team hostage for four years is that you just grab the move that's in front of you rather than have a long-term view of roster building. And and that is, in some respects, at, at LeBron's feet, right? He deserves a fair amount of blame for this because if he just says, all right, not even I'm going to sign a four-year deal because – he doesn't need to do that, but not do the passive aggressive, not you know flex his power, flex his muscle. If he doesn't do that stuff, then you're allowed to build a team with young players that make sense, that can be built over the long term, and any team that has LeBron just can't afford to do that. All right, so let's get to our uh, – we, we've sort of both of us bounced back and forth here a little bit, and I know you, you're more confident in them getting back to the finals basically for some of the reasons that you've given, the way they've dominated the Eastern Conference in recent years and that they always go through this. I'm less confident because this does remind me a little bit of the 2013-2014 Heat, and I know that team did get to the finals, although it was a struggle to get to the finals that year. And then when they got to the finals, obviously they got blown out by San Antonio in five games. I'm, I'm going to start here, and we can battle on this one a little bit to, to ask this question. You posed it earlier, who else in the Eastern Conference can beat them, right? And so I need to make the case that someone else can beat them in a playoff series. And I made a terrible case last year that I thought Toronto could do it against Cleveland, and that obviously did not work out very well. I do think that both Boston and Toronto have a shot 
this season uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I'll start with Toronto. I think DeMar DeRozan's step forward this year, and, and that's in, in particular as a range shooter in terms of adding the three-pointer to his game, makes a huge difference for Toronto. And I also think they needed a refresher of their rotation, and they've added some young pieces that have played really well for them this year, and they've improved in a lot of the areas offensively. In particular, I think that they needed to improve at. So while I still have my questions about Kyle Lowry in the postseason where he has struggled in past years, particularly from three-point range, I think Toronto, with that core that's now played, the core starting lineup, which has played together now for a while, particularly the Lowry-DeRozan backcourt, but also adding some young pieces. I could see a situation against Cleveland where Toronto sort of runs Cleveland off the floor in enough games that they could challenge them this year. And then I look at Boston, and I know that they're not complete without Gordon Hayward, um, and that this may be a little bit too soon for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but nothing has proven too soon for the two of those guys so far. I think both of them are extremely poised for young players. I can see both of them playing very well in the playoffs. They have a go-to scorer down the stretch in Kyrie Irving, and they have a guy in Al Horford who's a two-way player, and I know he has struggled at times against the Cavs, particularly as a rebounder, he is playing at a high level this year, and they have an elite coach, uh, a guy who uh, I think Brad Stevens and Eric Spolster are pretty much, you know, and then when Stan Van Gundy gets the right team are pretty much the class of the Eastern Conference in terms of coaching. I could see both of those teams as more significant challengers to Cleveland than they've been in previous years without even getting into some of the problems that Cleveland has had. So those two teams, I could see either of them getting to the NBA Finals. It's a good case, and it's a good argument, but I just I was always a believer in the sample size. I was always a believer in the regular season means something. I was always a believer in eventually these cracks will show. But I, I just I go back to they have LeBron James. That's obviously number one. But they have made all of this so insignificant that I need to see it with my own eyes, it be made significant again. Because Cleveland has gone into the playoffs. I remember we did it with Atlanta. And, and Atlanta is another one where I wanted to believe the sample size. I wanted to believe that what they were doing was replicable in the playoffs. And then they get smoked two years in a row. I wanted to believe Toronto last year. And now you've, you've correctly argued that they've made some changes. But Toronto just seems like Cleveland's little brother. And, and they're just never going to get to a stage where they pump themselves up enough, where they have enough talent to feel like they're on level pegging with LeBron, with Cleveland. And eventually, even if Toronto makes it a 2-2 series by winning the games at Air Canada Center, they'll just get to the point where Cleveland, Cleveland will just get, oh yeah, we're Cleveland, you're Toronto, this is how this is supposed to go. And I think that'll, that'll end up happening. The, the, the Boston case is an interesting one, and I think if healthy Gordon Hayward were to come back, I'd be with you. I think if this happens next year, if LeBron comes back with a similar kind of roster and they go again, I think Boston wins next year, but I don't think they're ready yet. And I just need to see with my own eyes. I'm normally not the guy that is a statistics denier. Right now, the, the we're, we're past the halfway point and Cleveland has a negative net rating. That should indicate they're losing in the Eastern Conference playoffs. But We've seen it too often with a Cleveland team that spends months, months astray, eventually get it together and eventually dominate the Eastern Conference to where I just threw my hands up during last year's playoffs and said, 
None of what happens matters. <laughs> Nothing matters. And I'm going to need to see Cleveland be beaten in the Eastern Conference because LeBron hasn't been beaten since 2010 in the Eastern Conference. I need to see it. Well, the other thing about 2010, you mentioned that was the last time he was beaten in the Eastern Conference. It was also the last time that there were some questions about whether or not he was staying or going. Mm. And that is the one thing that, again, I keep coming back to this, that hangs over this team. And is this group going to be invested enough? Are the players on this team going to be invested enough to make sort of the push that's necessary in the postseason? Do I think the Cleveland's going to lose in the first round? No. I, I don't see, uh, even with some of these young teams in the Eastern Conference, I don't see any of them posing enough of a threat, even if, say, Cleveland uh, you know, is a three seed. Now, if they're a four seed and they're drawing a Washington in the first round, it's possible that the Wizards could could push them, although the Wizards seem to be less than the sum of their parts this year for whatever reason. But I don't see them losing in the first round. But is this group going to be invested enough to make the three-round push to get to the finals? And also, when you have a team, when you have a lot of guys that the coach is trying to figure out who to play and who not to play, there does get to a certain point where players become frustrated with that. They don't know what their roles are. And you can already hear that in some of the comments that have come out of Cleveland. What is the sort of the emotional state of mind of this team going to be once they get to the postseason? And the other thing is this. If there is this sort of consensus, and if it's creeped into the Cleveland locker room, that Golden State is just not beatable anyway, right? That, that, that we're going to go through all of this, and we're going to get to the finals, and that team is such a juggernaut that we're not going to beat them. And look, Golden State's going to have its own challenges. I was going to uh, say, with, but, with, but, with, but what if it's Houston? Houston I was going to say, well, but what if it's Houston? Well, that, that's a possibility. And, and you know, they're going to have their own challenges with Houston, maybe even OKC if – you know, and it, we'll have to see with you know with with the Thunder whether that bench is going to play well enough, whether that mix is going to come together. But I do think that that OKC has a chance to be a much better playoff team than they are a regular season team. But I will say this: if there is sort of any kind of a feeling in that Cleveland locker room that Golden State's not beatable anyway, then that plays into sort of what the state of mind of that team is going to be. And I I just wonder. I look at Boston. And I say, do they have sort of are they going to have more of a chip on their shoulder or are they going to have more to play for than Cleveland does at this point? Just by virtue of having Kyrie Irving, that's the best player that they've that they've faced in a situation like this. So I, I think that Boston can offer a serious challenge. And you also look at them on the defensive side. If we're comparing defenses, Boston are they are they top of the league right now? Yeah, they are top of the league in defensive rating. And well, I mean, you're looking Boston. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at the Eastern Conference alone, and again, we talk about the Cavaliers being 29th overall in the NBA. They're not that far out of 30th. They they might slip to 30th here at a certain point. They're just fractionally ahead of Sacramento. But yeah, Boston is number one in the NBA in defensive rating. Philadelphia third. Toronto uh, Toronto sixth. So I mean. Those are three teams that the Cavaliers could see in the postseason. Boston and Toronto are both excellent defensive teams, and you know Toronto is playing offensively at the same level as the Cavaliers. So, uh, in both of those cases, that poses a challenge. Yeah, I mean Toronto's fourth and fourth in offensive rating and sixth in defensive rating. My my statistical itch is being scratched by these <laughs> by these competitors, but I just I don't trust it. I don't trust it, Ethan. And that is ultimately where, where we arrive at it in terms of if we're making conclusions and all this. I just don't trust it. I don't trust Toronto. I don't trust Boston. And I'm going to need to see with my own two eyes that somebody can beat LeBron James in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And that's why I think none of this matters because they've made a mockery of the regular season. For, for the last two years, when 
I, frankly, I and, and some of this is sort of me being burned, right? Because you, you mentioned last year that, you know, it was Toronto that you were arguing on behalf of. I argued on behalf of Atlanta when we were doing radio together. Mm-hmm. That I thought Atlanta can go and do it. And then they just get embarrassed. And I want to be on the side of LeBron. Just like yesterday in the AFC Championship game, you want to you know, go against the Patriots and, and you want to you know, hope that someone can beat them. Eventually, they have Tom Brady. And the, and, and the Cavs have LeBron James. And it's the, it's the dumbest, most basic argument you can make in the world. And I remember I've gotten mad at Stugatz for making the same argument. But he was bang on. And he, he was, you know, they, they've laughed at, at the competitors in the Eastern Conference. And I'm going to continue to do so as well until someone beats him. There's tremendous pressure on Ty Lue to find the right combinations to play with LeBron because you look at LeBron's right. numbers this year, and they're right where they were last season. He's still playing at that level. I mean, right across the board, um, you, you take a look. I mean, he's averaging the same assists as last year, virtually the same points, shooting the same percentages. You know, he's playing at that kind of level, and yet last year they were a huge plus with LeBron on the court, and this year they're flat. You know, that says that speaks to the roster. It also speaks to the coach. They've got to figure out a way to put guys on the floor who fit with LeBron. You can't have LeBron playing at this level and have it not mean anything. Yeah, he will be the best player on the floor in the postseason, no question about that. I just wonder if they can, if they face a team that can have the second, third, and fourth best players on the floor, potentially, uh, whether or not that's something that he'll be able to overcome this time around. And you, you mentioned what LeBron is doing. Uh, this is year 15 for him. And he's still performing at this level. And that's kind of the thing that is a little bit of a bummer that, again, he himself has created in some respect because of of, of the way that his off-court behavior has has translated into what the Cavs are putting on the floor. But age 33, year 15, 27, 9, and 8. Those are – and on 55% shooting too because there are times in Cleveland where he struggled for uh, efficiency – and you look at if you look at the effective field goal percentage, he's at sixty percent effectively. And you look at the other kind of players that were in and, that are in and around where LeBron is at this stage of his career. Kobe, age thirty three, uh, averaged twenty eight, but his effective field goal percentage was forty six percent. So LeBron doing it at that much more of, of of efficiency is incredible. The only other players that have performed at this level this late in their career uh, have been Kobe, Kareem, and Karl Malone. And LeBron shows no signs of slowing down. And, and that's the, the insane part of all of this is that we're talking about a Cleveland team struggling with arguably one of the three best players to ever play in the history of the NBA. And that's why we're talking about trades. That's why we're talking about this potentially coming back is because if they didn't have him, we wouldn't even be considering this conversation. If he wasn't the antidote to all these questions, we wouldn't even be considering a run to the NBA Finals, but he is. All right, so uh, I guess if we're going to do a fifth reason, uh, would it be, did I convince you of my argument? Well, just saying LeBron. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, okay. Uh, I mean, The the fifth reason is LeBron. (laughs) the, The fifth reason is, yeah, I mean, that's, the one thing I keep coming back to is that you're always a fool to go against greatness. And so I feel like a little bit of a fool even suggesting that, you know, the guy doesn't lose first round games, let alone series. As you mentioned, they've lost five games since he's gone back to Cleveland. We talk about a ball, an Eastern Conference that still isn't sort of fully developed of full-fledged contenders yet. You put all that together and you make a compelling case. So I could be swayed a little bit, and I'm sure I'll feel a little bit differently when the postseason starts 
and the Cavaliers as a four or five seed sweep a first round series and LeBron looks like the best player in the world and Ty Lue or whoever the coach is at that point has found some sort of workable combination. But again, I'm going to come back to what I said early in the podcast, which is that to people who are on the ground there, this one feels different and that there are just too many players that can't be counted on on this roster. That's still the case that I'm going with and, and sort of putting a flyer on a Boston or Toronto to be able to actually take that next step. And, and speaking of being on the ground, you can speak from personal experience, too, that year four in Miami was different, right? Yes. Year four in Miami felt different from the very beginning it just it, it didn't feel like the guys were invested the way they'd been invested in previous years they they just seemed spent they seemed tired of each other to a large degree the new pieces that were added that year was Beasley and Odin they really didn't fit with what they had been doing previously and and I I think if you look at it there are some parallels to this Cleveland situation the biggest thing is it's just you know 4 years is a long time uh and even though in Cleveland you've had a lot of turnover in terms of the roster and even Kyrie not being there. And, and maybe you could say that would have freshened things up. It, it is, it is sort of challenging to get back up year after year after year and get to the same place that you were before, particularly if it didn't end up in a, in a championship the year before. And, you know, we've seen how San Antonio has managed to stay competitive and, and sort of keep, you know, harmony there, but that is really challenging. And uh, I just, from afar, and again, I was around that heat team all the time, but from afar, this does remind me a little bit of that fourth-year Heat team. All right. That was this edition of the Five Reasons podcast. We went through the Cleveland Cavaliers crisis situation. Later on in the week, we're thinking about potentially a Jarvis Landry podcast. We have some ideas in the hopper. We'll see which one we pull out later on in the week. Do subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. We are there. We're working on Spotify as well. I'll let you know when that is on there. But that will do it for this edition of the Five Reasons podcast. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.